Welcome, apartment investors. You're listening to Reap Equity's podcast show, Passive Wealth Through Multifamily Investing. Reap Equity owns and manages 1,800 units and brings a unique behind-the-scenes look at apartment investing. During this program, you will hear from REAP principals and real-life successful multifamily professionals who will provide proven advice on why apartment investing is the best investment vehicle to produce passive monthly income. Welcome to REAP Equities, Passive Wealth Through Multifamily Investments. I'm Jacob Garza, and today hosting this podcast with me is our partner, Chris Martinez. Welcome, apartment investors. Today, we have two special guests at the REAP studios, Zar Haro and Moses Siller. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having us today. Hey, guys. Pleasure to be here. And a little bit about Zar. Zar is a senior vice president with JLL's Jones Lang LaSalle's Capital Market Group. He's responsible for multifamily investments throughout San Antonio and South Texas. Zar is focused on establishing and maintaining client relationships, providing advisory, transactional, and equity and debt services to multifamily owners and developers. Zar is also affiliated with um, many organizations, including the Office of Urban Redevelopment San Antonio, which promotes efforts that eliminate urban slums throughout the San Antonio area. Well, Moses has a, a very comparable uh, pedigree as czar. Is there anything that you care to share besides that? Because it's pretty similar, right? I mean, you guys kind of uh, yeah, came up with the same yeah, ranks, Yeah, right? pretty much. So me and czar are, uh, I wouldn't say carbon copies, but same pedigree, went to the same college, right. uh, started at the same place. I don't do all that extra stuff czar does. I, I I don't know where he finds time to do all that and become such a... Uh, and, and finds time to be a co-star power broker, but um, all in the day's work for a superhero named Zar Haro. But let's talk a little bit about uh, as it relates to your experience in the sales, investment sales for multifamily, talk a little bit about your background, how you got started in it, where you got your first shop to now. Yeah, so I've uh, been, been going at it for about 10 years now. My first, uh, One of my very first encounters as an apartment broker was with the REAP team. On a previous podcast, Arlene mentioned that we had uh, sold them their first 24-unit asset. And actually, I think that was like my fourth or fifth listing ever, so... Um, it's good that we're here. Fast forward 10 years and still taking advantage of uh, a great market, a great city of San Antonio. I, again, a, a UTSA grad and been doing this about 10 years and just keep on keeping on. So, Zara, you guys have kind of operated as a team for a while. Where'd you guys meet? How'd you guys discover the synergy of being able to work together? And you guys have a pretty interesting relationship. I know if we have a question about a particular deal and we just want maybe a straight answer, We'll go to you, Moses, right? <laughs> but if we're looking for some type of educational uh, understanding of intricacies of the market or some type of financial analysis, we'll definitely go to Zara. So it's you guys have an interesting relationship. Yeah, he's the hammer. I'm the professor. <laughs> I'm the hammer. He's the violin. <laughs> so, yes, we have an interesting dynamic in that. When we started working at Marcus and Militrav, as the story goes, every Marcus and Militrav guy fights against each other to, for the same listings, and we were fighting against each other forever and ever and ever for the same clients, doing the same deals. And we finally realized that well, maybe if we worked together, we actually might achieve better results, and, and, and that's 
what ended up happening. I started working in some of the secondary and tertiary markets as well as San Antonio, and our businesses just started to blend together. So I don't remember when it was, but I think we actually did our first two deals together. He brought the seller, I brought the buyer, and then I brought the buyer and he brought the seller. And we figured out that it was easier to make money instead of fighting each other. So I think one of the great things that we thought about when we introduced you guys or or brought you into the studios to kind of talk about buyer or seller do's and don'ts is that a lot of brokers don't work together in tandem like this full time, right? Consistently throughout each deal. No, Um, it's very rare. And I think we'll talk a little bit about what separates you guys or what roles specifically you guys handle within the transaction or the kind of when you guys bring a new deal to the market. But for now, let's talk more about the buyer specifically and maybe the qualifications of a buyer. What do you guys look for in a qualified buyer here in San Antonio or in other markets you guys represent? Uh, So there's quite a few things that we look at. But I'd say that the number one thing that we look for is outside of price and terms, because those are the first two factors to get eliminated, it's, it's behavioral. You say you're going to do something, and you do something else. There's some old wisdom that goes like this. The way a deal starts is the way it's going to end. And the reality is is it's very true. If you're being a bad guy or a bad girl, it's probably going to be the same. When we pick a buyer, we typically know what we're getting into. I would say some of the things that maybe – buyers don't realize first, second, third time is the resources that are available to the brokers is ridiculous. We've got resources that can see how you vote. We've got resources that see if you've got a... How'd I vote? I'm sorry. You donated. (laughs) (laughs) Or what political affiliations you have, whether you have a pilot's license, a real estate license, whether you hunt, you fish... All the public records that are available are available at our, our fingertips. What entities that you're a part of, maybe not the percentage, but we know from the research, we find out who you are and who you're saying you are versus who we piece together what we believe that you are. If they don't match, we're starting to call other people. And if we have to get to the point of we're asking that many questions about the credibility of this person, the likelihood of getting picked is extremely low. So any recommendation that we can make is be honest in your pursuits of what you're going after. Be realistic in, hey, this is my first syndication. This is my second syndication. I bought a small one, and this is what I'm doing to raise for my next one. Because chances are that if you're being upfront with us, we're willing to take a chance on somebody if they're you know, forthright. You don't have to give us every detail, but at the end of the day, when you're negotiating price and terms, you know, those are the first two things, but personality and behavior are the second things that we look at. So just to make one observation or or comment here, although, because we've been in situations where the broker has told us certainty of close, you guys can do it. You guys always start and end transactions the right way. But we've lost deals, even when the broker has told us that. Ultimately, the seller has the final decision on on what buyer they're going to select, correct? And so 
how much of your experience with the buying group goes into influencing a seller on, on what decision to make? That's usually a trade-off for terms or reputation. Terms can supersede reputation because somebody's going to put money on the line that's willing to vanish and say you're a new buyer and you're willing to roll the dice on half a million dollars hard day one and you roll the dice, well, you, you might beat out an experienced group because somebody's happy to take your money to waste their time. If all else is equal, then you'll pick reputation. And a lot of times, all else is equal, except for today where there's more non-refundable earnest money. But I'll tell you that non-refundable is certain people's definition of non-refundable. If somebody wants an out, they can find an out. Survey, title, We've seen everybody's a good guy till they're not. Till something goes wrong, they can't do a raise, and we've seen people not do what they say they're going to do. So right now, uh, the market is very efficient in terms of pricing and terms. You know, we're going to get four or five offers that are all within striking distance, and that's when reputation comes into play, right? If if you're looking at a REAP equity or you're looking at somebody who – might own some deals in other markets, but is new to San Antonio. Us as influencers for the seller and providing a seller uh, assurances of closes of closing, we're going to use and we're going to uh, recommend a group like yourselves that has a long track record and isn't going to put us in a situation where we have to backtrack with the seller and say, hey, look, we told you to pick this guy or we steered you in this direction and wasn't able to perform. So from a reputation standpoint, it's everybody's reputation at, uh, at play. It's the buyer, uh, the seller's reputation, and also the brokers. So the apartment business is a very small group of folks, and reputation is everything. So along those lines of buyers submitting LOIs to sellers, what do you guys like to see in an LOI? At the same time, what is it you don't like to see? In other words, what makes a good, strong LOI? Uh, so short due diligence, money non-refundable are probably uh, two points um, that is very important to a seller. And look, guys, it, it, it all boils back down to assurance of close, right? So if you guys can, if you guys can provide assurances and, and you've got a good reputation, terms of price, and those things are uh, dictated by the market. And look, at the end of the day, we got to want to do business with you. We got to like you and we got to feel comfortable that you guys are who you say you are and you're going to do what you're going to do. You know, there's a lot of instances where we go into contracts with folks that we don't know very well. And to Zar's point, transactions, what was the exact? The way a deal starts the, the, is the way it's going to end. I mean, th there is so much uh, wisdom in, in that statement and we've seen it time and time again. Would that answer change in a different market, say like Houston or Dallas? No, not really. Because we sell so some of our clients that are San Antonio-based sell in Houston and Dallas, and we advise along with uh, our other colleagues. Now, the competition number of people at the table, the hard money, terms, things like that, I'd say that the, the major points to look at is price is always first, terms are second, but within terms you've got Survey title, due diligence, or physical inspection. In San Antonio, we see 1 to 21 days is very typical. And there are groups that today it's harder to get picked with a financing contingency 
But for groups that maybe aren't comfortable with the financing, not having some sort of financing contingency, I would suggest maybe offering up an access agreement saying, hey, I'll go inspect up front because I've got to have a responsibility to my equity, you know, seven days while you're negotiating the purchase and sale agreement because it doesn't waste anybody else's time if you went to go look, do a tour. And if you did a an access agreement up front, now you may feel comfortable with putting up some legitimate non-refundable earnest money. And that's how we've gotten some groups who've never had to do it in San Antonio to feel comfortable with it because the reality is the Dallas, the Houston, the Austin money is showing up to San Antonio now and their offers are being forced to have non-refundable earnest money only usually subject to survey and title. You know, and going back to reputation, it's important that you build relationships with the brokerage community in the uh, markets that you're looking to purchase. And, you know, we, we always revert to price as, as being uh, the most important factor in getting picked to get awarded uh, the transaction for, to purchase. But in some instances, that, that is the case. But sometimes there's other motivations besides price. So if you've built a good relationship with a broker, someone that you feel you can trust and, and, and have a rapport with, price isn't always the determining factor. There's you know uh, personal situations, financial situations, and uh, while price might be important, you know, speed might speed, be. Speed is... Somebody's dying, they need to uh, relinquish the asset, it's coming out of a trust, no-nonsense person that you know is not going to go uh, do a whole slew of due diligence. They're just going to say, you know what, the price is decent enough. Don't really care. I'll make money whether I have a hundred thousand dollars worth of deferred maintenance or three hundred thousand dollars worth of. De- we don't care what's behind door number three, four, or five. And it'll vary from instance to instance. So, shifting gears here, what types of questions should a new buyer that you guys are not familiar with ask? Uh, that would help their chances of getting the right information for a particular deal that you guys are representing? Or what questions should they not ask? Uh, The brokers are going to ask a lot of questions. 90% of the time the clients are asking us, is this a qualified buyer? So the things that we look at to qualify you are, what is your capital expense budget? Who's financing it? Do we know them? Have they underwritten it, this lender? Is your equity in hand? Are you raising it? If you're raising it, what's your experience raising the equity? And essentially, you know, how fast can you do your due diligence? And even this morning, who's your attorney? Because attorneys are really good at protecting people, but they're also really good at escalating things that are probably beyond deal points that nobody cares about. And so... The reality is is that all all real estate has risk, and some people are able to stomach more risk than others. So the realities are is, you know, know that the major deal points matter, but know that your attorneys need to be on the same page of what you agreed to. And as a buyer, if you've already decided which markets you're going to be in and, uh, you know, which swimming pools you're going to, you know, play in, you should be getting ahead of that. So what I mean by that is you should be going out and meeting with these brokers ahead of time. It's good that you have all your ducks in a row uh, when you're going out and submitting an LOI. But if you can go and build a relationship with a broker and they've seen your face and they've spoken to you several times before, 
you get ahead of the curve, uh, especially in competitive situations. So uh, being proactive and going out and meeting with the brokerage community uh, will add to your validity uh, when you submit an LOI for purchase. And I will say, too, is one of the things that people don't really talk about is style from city to city. San Antonio is very much a handshake, South Texas market. You do what you say you're going to do. Dallas and Houston are very lawyers write contracts, and they're they're going to fight it up. If the equity is from New York, you know that the contract is going to be the most one-sided argument because they've got to pay for their you know, 42nd floor high-rise rent, so they got to have billable <laughs> hours. And so you know that the contract negotiation is going to be exhaustive uh, depending on where the equity is from. So matching the right buyer, because you can have price with the right seller. There are some sellers that will not accept the type of negotiation style that Dallas or Houston or New York might have, even though it's kosher for those cities it is not acceptable in every market. So understand the, the business climate in each of those marketplaces. So, so price and term is, is, is important, but if you drag out a contract for two weeks because the lawyers have been going back and forth, you're essentially taking that property off the market for two weeks and the seller's going to throw up his hands and say, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to go to the next guy. So understanding the market, getting ahead of with the uh, selling brokers and, and making introductions will go a long way to uh, getting a list or getting a rewarded uh, an asset. So along those lines, my assumption would be if either on the seller or the buyer side, if the sponsor allows the lawyer to control the deal, you guys would get wind of it and have you seen a situation where you get a listing and maybe it's with a very, let's just say, difficult seller? Have you ever seen a buyer just say, you know what, I'm just not going to deal with them. I'm I'm going to pass on this one. Once a month. <laughs> <laughs> it goes both ways, too. <laughs> Certainly, yeah. So I think that's something uh, Chris, Arlene, and I uh, are are cautioned because obviously we have to have representation and we have to make sure our – contracts are dotted and our, our T's are crossed at the same time, we're the ones making the decision. And I think that's why we've had uh, eight or nine or ten purchases that have all gone smoothly, and we've we've been the ultimate decision makers in the deal. And so. I would say I will reiterate that point. There's you know business risk, legal risk, and risk that's worth taking if the margin, the profit margin is there on the deal. I mean, there's plenty of deals that I have a specific client, we won't name them here, that everybody hates to deal with, but I'm the filter for the rest of the marketplace. And people buy, they can't wait to buy another one from him because he does everything under market, uh, likes to do it quick, and he sells cheap, and people make a lot of money off of him, but he's the guy that goes and buys foreclosures and wants, he's an easy buyer, but when he goes to sell, he wants you to be just as easy as him. So sometimes they'll get discounted to market because you're willing to deal in the way that that person's perception of the world deals. So you can buy better opportunities if you're flexible in some of the business risk. Too. And, and to Zara's point, not everybody who owns and sells apartments is sophisticated and has a you know PhD in economics, right? 
I mean, at the end of the day, uh, for the most part, in the B and C space and the assets that we purchase, it's still, for the most part, a what I would call a mom and pop scenario, a, a small syndicators, people, you know, working class folks that just happen to own apartments. So if you're able to adapt as a buyer and if you're able to get a good sense of what you're purchasing and you can systematically assess the risk, there's more opportunities for you versus somebody who's very rigid in the way they do business and needs a New York Wall Street lawyer to draft contracts. So just be cognizant of that. You know, not every deal and not every person is, uh, you know, an MBA from from Harvard. So I, th- I think you bring a good point that a good majority of buyers in the B and C space are, are probably first time syndicators, mom and pop they're raising money from, right? It's important to remember that as a buyer, you guys represent the seller in the transaction, correct? And it might be easy for a new buyer to just kind of assume differently, like you guys are there to help them as buyers. Do you guys experience that? And if you do experience it, how often and do you guys recommend a buyer to get representation for themselves? So in the, I'd say, 10 million and below space, uh, and specifically in the five million below space, uh, when we're marketing something, we'd love for another agent to be on the other side, just because the uh, there's a lot of handholding that goes on, and it's cheaper for us to have another agent on the other side than taking our listing agents out of the game from finding new opportunities to sell to new first time, second time investors. It's not typical in the, I'd say, 7 to 10 million space for people to come represented. But know that we're all friendly, but we're not, we don't represent your best interests, but we will give you the guidelines on what it takes to be competitive. Because at the end of the day, we're still on it. The listing brokers are still 99% of the time on contingency. And the only way that the they make money is, is if there's a transaction that prevails. So they've got to give you guidance on to whether or not a transaction will prevail and where you need to line up for a transaction to prevail. So we absolutely uh, have a fiduciary responsibility to the seller as listing brokers. But at the same time, we do want to represent a transaction. So although we have um, uh, our fiduciary responsibilities to a seller, uh, it's in our best interest to uh, transact and help and uh, guide buyers uh, in the marketplace to get us all to a uh, a closing of a transaction. So with that, do you guys have any fun stories that you could share? Maybe like potential buyers are like sleeping outside of the property. They're walking around the property days and night. They're just, <laughs> they're kind of watching it, see who goes in, who goes out. Maybe you're on a tour and you walk through a wasp mess. I don't know. I mean, anything fun that you could share? Uh, yeah. Every time we sell something, it's uh, no matter what, we just have that, that jinx that something's going to go wrong in the middle of our listing. We just had one that's under contract that, supposed to close on Thursday, but drunk driver hit a a building and knocked it over. Not all of it, but uh, had to make an insurance claim or some sort of domestic violence dispute or, you know, hail fires for Moses a couple weeks ago. Like, it's not our listing if something like that doesn't happen. But, you know, the reality is, is that buyers can be pretty funny. 
maybe you can tell stories about people that aren't who they say they are. I think there was a guy named uh, what was his name? He he per- perceived to be this wealthy Texas cattleman. Yeah, I mean, going going back to reputation and saying who you are. I mean, look, the, we we all have access to the World Wide Web, right? We're gonna look you up, and we're gonna know very quickly whether or not you are who you say you are. So. If you pretend to be a rich cattleman, we're going to know very quickly whether you are or you aren't. But, you know, going back to a specific funny story, once you put a deal under contract, you don't own it yet. (laughs) Okay? And you can't be at the property every day while you're under contract. That is no bueno. You can't do that. Okay? It's called trespassing. So just a, a word to the wise, if you put a property under contract, it's okay to do your due diligence and make sure that you know what you're buying, but there's no need to be at the property yeah, for the 60 days you have it under contract. Don't start telling management on site what they need to start doing to get the property ready because that never works, and we usually get the screaming and inflammatory calls of who is this person, what are they doing, why are they doing it. Uh, We've had everything from buyers that literally try to defraud us. We've had people that say they deposit an earnest money check and send you a fake, a fake certified check. We've had people say that they're NBA stars' cousins, and they're not, <laughs> and they don't have any money. Um, and eventually we find out and, you know, and then they wonder why we don't return their phone calls anymore. And sometimes we're surprised. We're like, hey, you know what? I've never done this before. I got a rich uncle. And you do some homework, and that rich uncle really exists. And he really believes in his nephew. And uh, that's what just happened for us on a, a project we sold near the Pearl. Rich uncle shows up, says my says he's going to run this, for, or his nephew's going to run it, and checked out and ready to go. Wow. So there's lots of value you guys do provide. <laughs> we think so. We charge a lot to do it. <laughs> Listen, if you're not uh, offering a value-added business as a broker, you're very quickly become obsolete. I mean, look, it's, it's very competitive for buyers right now, but it's just as competitive for brokers. And, you know, you guys as sellers have to do your due diligence on who the brokers are, and you want to make sure that the guys that you're working with know what they're doing, and, of course, adding value-added service uh, to the transaction. Yeah, so, it's hard for us to compete today. Everybody's everybody's priced about the same. Everybody charges all about the same. Relationships matter. Uh, reputation, reputation matters for brokers. Matters. And we're just waiting for a few people to retire so we can take a little bit more market share. Some guys that have been around for 40 years and in the business, which is older than we even are, so we're waiting for those people to retire. So the moral here is it only costs you money until you don't use a broker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. If, if you're stepping over quarters to pick up dimes, um, you're not doing it right. And, um, you know, there's value in all the expenses uh, that goes into uh, a transaction. So uh, finding a good broker is important. Finding a good broker that can provide value-added service is important. And in the long run, aligning yourself with the brokerage community, the folks that you're buying and selling from, is in your best interest. So don't be short-sighted with regards to uh, working with an intermediary. And by the way, that in Dallas, Houston, Austin, uh, off-market happens, direct sales happen all the time. 
But San Antonio is so small. It's a good old boy network that if you're doing deals direct, that broker's never going to call you again. And obviously, we deal with a lot of brokers on our end, buying and selling. And so I think you had mentioned in the beginning how the transaction begins. It's typically how it ends from the characteristics of a buyer, right? But that's very similar to a broker is if we approach a broker and they're just giving us the the hard sell pitch from the beginning and they're telling us everything that we want to hear, typically for us, it's a red flag. One of the things that we really enjoy working with you guys and personally what I enjoy with dealing with Moses is is very straight shooter, very straight shooter, direct and honest. And every time we come to you, I mean, you're just you're delivering value in every single nook and cranny that 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 we're we're looking to um, learn from. So, you guys are probably, in our eyes, one of the top brokers as a duo in San Antonio. So, if there's anything that you guys want to add before we wrap up, I know we'd like to give our listeners your guys' contact information because I'm sure after listening to this, they're going to want to understand how they could. Um, purchase here, buy, or, or in any other market that you guys represent. But is there any final comments you guys want to add? For me, you know, again, going back to uh, where we are in the market cycle, uh, we're in a very competitive situation for everybody, buyers, sellers, brokers. And it's important that everybody through this process and all the transactions are, are doing their due diligence and seeing value in what everybody's doing within a transaction. So, um, you know, we're, we're talking specifically about buyers, but you can very easily uh, relate all this to brokers and, and sellers alike. So do your due diligence, make friends, be transparent, and look at the long game. Don't, don't be short-sighted. And we're always chasing the next deal, but there's always going to be another deal, and you've only got one reputation. So make sure that you're doing a good job of uh, keeping a good reputation. And the brokers, although we're competitors, we all know each other. Some of us are friends, uh, some of us are frenemies, but we all know each other. (laughs) For our listeners, if someone wants to make contact with JLL, who should they they reach out to? They can reach out to Zar Haro. My email address is zar.haro at jll.com, and my phone number is 210-839-2004. And if uh, Zara's busy closing a deal, uh, you can reach me uh, at Moses, M-O-S-E-S dot Siller, S as Sam, I-L-L-E-R, at JLL.com. And uh, my direct line is uh, 210-839-2004. Thanks for joining us. Chris, you want to add anything else to this before we wrap up? No, the only thing I'll add is if it's the middle of summer and you want to tour property, you got to call Moses. Cause <laughs> I'm going to show up in a cutoff and some sandals. I'm not wearing my uh, broker monkey suit anymore. I'm going comfortable. It's hot in Texas, y'all. It was Moses went to Cancun. He came back and he was a whole whole other person. There. <laughs> well, thank you everyone for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of this podcast. And again, Czar and Moses, thanks for joining Reap Equity. If you listeners out there, if you want to keep track of uh, what Reap Equity is doing, you can contact us via email at invest at reapequity.com. Please make sure you can join us on Facebook. Like us at uh, Reap Equity uh, on Facebook.